The following podcast contains graphic language. Listener discretion is advised. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Throughout my life, the Ten Rings gave our family power. If you want them to be yours one day, you will have to show me you are strong enough to carry them. And welcome back to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Shang-Chi. Beware. Spoilers. So, so if you haven't seen the movie, pause right now and then run out to the theater, watch the movie, come back, and turn it back on. Coming to you from my basement, as always, my name is Don. And to my right, we have our comic book guy, John. Hello there. And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. Hey, everybody. All right. So we saw the new Marvel movie, Shang-Chi, last night. And uh, we wanted to get this out to whoever wanted to listen to it as soon as we could. So I guess you could call this a special episode, but it is going to go into our library as uh, normal. So... Uh, Whenever Don gets off his butt and gets it edited and so I can post it. Yeah, something like that. Editing is not as easy as you fucking think, buddy. Well, I expect it tomorrow. (laughs) And you know what I expect you to do? Shut up. Naughty things. Um, Look, we made the professor blush again. This is, in fact, the first Marvel movie we have reviewed here at Three Guys in a Flick. Um, And just a quick little bit of background the three of us three guys we fucking love marvel movies so this is kind of kind of a first for us right boys yeah yeah it only took 24 other movies before we got around to talking about a marvel movie well a big big secret of ours is our very first podcast was iron man and we recorded it and i thought we did a good job but it was our first podcast not on great equipment and probably will never see the light of day well yeah, probably not. However, I I am not opposed to re-recording it, uh, you know, just to get our thoughts down again on what Iron Man was to us. So our first pod, our first Marvel podcast will probably become a later podcast. Well, no, this is our first one on air. Okay. Oh, I see what you're saying. I was the first one we reviewed. Yeah. And our very first movie was a Marvel movie. So, yeah, yeah. that was that's a little background there for you guys. Uh, speaking of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, Shang-Chi, yeah. uh, right out of the gate, just real quick, quick impressions. Professor, go. Do you like it? Yes or no? I thought it was a lot of fun. It was, it was a good movie. Uh, comic book guy, go. In the same vein as, you know, other Marvel movies, this one was different. I felt like this one was on the same level of Black Panther in that it wasn't your typical Marvel movie, and so I really enjoyed it. Uh, what did you think of it? Uh, fantastic fun ride. Uh, I disagree. I think it was like every other Marvel movie, but in my book, that's okay. This had more, I think, fantasy elements is what I'm talking about. Uh, what's that? How's that any different than magic? Totally. Mm, okay. But I will say that uh, in one regard that 
it is sort of similar to Black Panther in my experience that when I went and saw Black Panther, I had no context whatsoever who Black Panther was in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so going in and watching this movie cold, Black Panther, how am I going to end up liking this movie? Am I going to be able to connect with it very well? And this is what Marvel has a really solid track record of doing is putting together a good story, whether you know about it or don't know about it, it still makes a good movie. That movie went on to become nominated for Best Picture and made over a billion dollars. And so I had every bit of confidence in this movie as well that when I saw Shang-Chi is going to be just like that. I know nothing about any of this storyline, but it's Marvel and I'm going to trust them and they're going to deliver the goods with a good movie and a good story. And if only we could harness that energy. Yeah, I know. We would be fucking posting podcasts every other day. I know. I think Professor liked this. Yeah, I know. That was fantastic. Um, But I agree with the Professor 110%. I, too, had no context about who this character was. And that's kind of what I love about Marvel is I knew who the Black Panther was, but I didn't know who he was. Right, I knew who Ant-Man was, but I didn't really know who Ant-Man was. Doctor Strange, Captain Marvel, same kind of things. The big three, the, the, the actual Avengers that we got, yeah, I knew about them. So, you know, fantastic movies, don't get me wrong. But what Marvel does great is take these origin stories and they make them fun. And this was just so much fun. I can't tell you guys how much fun I had last night. It was great. For me, it was a little bit opposite. I do have a background of knowing his origin, knowing, seeing him in comic books over the years, knowing where he first started. And when I first heard about this movie being made, I was a little worried. Uh, when Shang-Chi, she first came out in the 1970s, he was very stereotypical, uh, actually had some racist elements in it. Um, it took them a while to work those out. And now he's more of just a superhero in the comic books. So I knew that they were going to do the movie, you know, as non-stereotypical as they could, but I was worried about the backlash from his original uh, appearances would affect moviegoers' experience, if that makes sense. It does, but and I have to counter with this. How many of the average moviegoers do you think have that much knowledge of his backstory? I think a lot of comic book lovers go... And actually see these movies. Oh, no, 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 no. That, that's, that's not that, that, that I'm not saying that I hundred yeah. percent, you know, of course, of course they see them. What I'm, I guess what I'm asking you is Shang-Chi is, isn't the, the most, isn't the first name that pops up in your head when you think Marvel. So I'm, I'm just curious to, out of all the people in the theater last night, how many of them had the same or even more knowledge about it than you you know it's it's hard to say because i say i think anybody who's familiar with even just today's comic books in the last five years he's been appearing more and more and i think it might have been just a lead-in because the movie was coming out so people know him and have heard of him okay a lot of people may not know his original origins and some of the you know issues that came out back then in the 1970s most of them just know him as a marvel hero and he is Pretty much, I believe he's the first Asian to uh, be represented as a main character in a comic book. That's fantastic. As a superhero in the Marvel Universe. It only took 30 years. Yeah. Hey, but we're getting there. He's also the first one, just like Black Panther broke kind of some stereotypes. Sure. He's the first one to head a Marvel movie. Yeah. Yeah. Which, like you were saying, Professor, became a world phen- phenomenon. 
billion dollars. Let me ask you this, knowing the true origin or the comic book origin and the origin we got last night, how different was it? Well, do you want me to go in a little background of? I just want to know if it was different. It was very different. Okay, so tell Um, me why. The overall origin story is very similar. Shang-Chi had a father in the comic books named Fu Manchu originally. Uh They actually got that from the author of the book uh, who wrote about Fu Manchu. They got the rights. For like 10 years, I think that that's who was considered his father. He was sent off by, he was trained all of his life as an assassin. Mm-hmm. There was no talk about his mother. There was a, just barely anything. All we knew is she was a Caucasian woman, uh, but not much more about her. Uh, he was trained an assassin. He was sent off on his first mission. He killed the person he was sent off to, but then learned that his father was evil. He thought his father was a good guy. He found out his father was evil and decided to fight his father from then on. So it's kind of similar in that regard, but everything else in this movie was changed, including you know the father's name, the father's origin. There was no Ten Rings syndicate in uh, the comic books. That was made up for the movies. Um, he did run a criminal organization, but not as big worldwide. Uh, little things like that, and <laughs> little things, little things. Um, and then you know, like I said, he's he's gone on to basically he was created originally. Because Marvel Comics wanted to create an adaptation of the Kung Fu TV series. Since they didn't get the rights to Kung Fu, they decided to create their own Kung Fu style character modeled after Bruce Lee. Gotcha, gotcha. He was created by uh, Steve Englehart and Jim Starlin. And Jim Starlin, I don't know if you're familiar with comics much, but he's actually played a big role in Silver Surfer's character in the comics. So... I guess what I hear you saying is they took uh, the basic fundamentals of the origin story, uh, him being raised by his father's assassin, him taking care of the, the mm-hmm. going, uh, killing the guy he sent to kill, uh, changing the mother, bringing her in to be a more uh, integral role yes. in the film, and then taking the dad and you know giving him... Kind of softened him up. Well, no, they they took him and you said he ran gangs, but he was never in charge of the Ten Rings. So they added the Ten Rings, which the Ten Rings is a Marvel property. Yes. Yeah, it comes from the Mandarin, right? Yeah, it's named after the rings on the guy's arms. Right. And also in the comics, aren't they actual rings and not bracelets? There are Ten Rings on the Mandarin's fingers. Each one has a different ability. One's like ice, one's matter manipulations, one's psionic. God's wind. You know, they all have, basically, it's almost like they tried to steal from Green Lantern. Or, you know, they, what else, what other Marvel property had magical stones? Hmm. God, I, Hmm. fuck, what Well, there was 10 of, this came out in the, like, uh. Not the point. I'm just saying, the Mandarin (laughs) appeared originally in the 70s. Now, where the origin of the rings, the origin of the rings came from, an alien spaceship piloted by alien dragons. Do you remember Fin Fan Foom? I do, actually. Fin Fan Foom is a giant dragon that's appeared in a lot of Iron Man comic books. Yes. Uh, They have kind of hinted at him being worked in the movies. Some people are even saying online, the Dweller in the Darkness at the end of the movie was Fin Fan Foom. I disagree, Mm -hmm. but they are saying that. Fin Fan Foom is a member of the Moculin dragon alien race that came to Earth, and the Mandarin found the ship, and he took the rings, which were part of their propulsion drive. 
Ah. That was the origin of the rings in the comic books. Ah. So they've completely wiped it out. They made it on purpose in this movie to leave the origin of the rings very vague. Oh, I because totally. I think they're, and we're going to talk about this later when we talk about some theories about future movies. Uh, but I believe they left it completely vague for that reason that they can build on it later. Yeah. And Marvel has a, a, a track record of doing that because we got the 10 rings in the first Iron Man. That was the group responsible for kidnapping Tony Stark. And then we kind of got a uh, Mandarin in John's favorite Marvel movie of all time, Iron Man 3. And uh, now we're getting the Ten Rings again, but this is the Ten Rings that Marvel wants us to accept as its Ten Rings, right? Its origin, uh, its MCU version. And I do want to say... I, you know, I was never a big fan of Iron Man 3, but I feel like this movie fixes that for me. Oh my God. It (laughs) fixed. Okay. I'm glad it fixes it for you. For me. It does nothing to the story. It does not propel us. It finally closes that story. What story? The story of Trevor. Oh, for fuck's sakes. All right. We'll talk about it in a bit. (laughs) A story arc on Trevor. Yes. All right. It was always unfinished for me. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for that background on our characters. I do actually appreciate it. Um, would have been helpful yesterday. But I can tell whatever. you. I can even tell you that uh, in the comic books, uh, Shang Chi's sister was never a big part of it. Uh, she was not known by the name that they used in the movie Xiling. Sure. She in the comic books was known as Sister Hammer. Okay, so how does Katie fit into the MCU? Does she have some sort of a, a background? You know, I looked and looked, and I could not find any direct correlation between Katie and a comic book character. So I am assuming she was just created for the movie. Because she's definitely pulled into the story at the end. Oh, yeah. Well, from the beginning, really. Yeah. She's like his right hand. Well, does, and, is she now an Avenger? Well, according to Captain Marvel and... Oh, shit, can I say that or did we spoil it? Spoiler. Uh, according to Captain Marvel and Bruce Banner, who wasn't Professor Hulk, uh, they were. Shang-Chi, released September 3rd, 2021, directed by Destin Daniel Crutton, screenplay by Dave Kelleham, Destin Daniel Crutton, and Andrew Lanham. Uh, it was written by Dave Callahan and Destin Daniel Crutton. It was based on Marvel Comics, starring Simu Liu, Aquafina, Menger Zhang, Fala Chen, Florin Montanu, Benedict Wong, Michelle Yeoh, Ben Kingsley, and Tony Shuai Long. I do want to bring up uh, Tony is, I guess, a huge Chinese actor uh, in Asian films. Very, very popular. He's a popular actor, popular singer. This is his first U.S. film. Oh, I thought he did fantastic. I... Marvel does such a great job at casting. Yeah. All of these characters were so much fun, you know. Yeah, so, I thought he was fantastic in this movie. Yeah, so did I. Shang-Chi, the master of unarmed weaponry-based kung fu, is forced to confront his past after being drawn into the Ten Rings organization. 1,000 years ago, Zhu Wenyu finds the Ten Rings, mystical weapons that grant their user immortality and great power. Wen Yu amasses an army of warriors called the Ten Rings and conquers many kingdoms and topples governments throughout history. In 1996, Wen Yu begins searching for the village of Ta Lo, 
which is said to harbor various mythical beasts, in order to expand his power. He finds the entrance of the village, but is stopped from entering by the village's guardian, Ying Li. The two fall in love and have two children, Shang Ji and Wu Laying. Wen Yu abandons the Ten Rings and his organizations to be with his family. However, Li is eventually murdered by the Iron Gang, and Wen Yu must once again take up the Ten Rings. He uses them to massacre and resume his criminal activities. Shang Ji is trained in martial arts by Death Dealer. At the age of 14, Shang Ji is sent by Wen Yu to assassinate the leader of the Iron Gang. After fulfilling his mission, a traumatized Shang Ji escapes to San Francisco, where he adopts the name Sean. Following the blip, Shang Ji works as a valet with his best friend Katie Chen. While on their way to work via the Muni Metro, Shang Ji and Katie are attacked by the Ten Rings led by Razor Fist. Shang Ji fights them off but discovers that his pendant given to him by his mother has been taken. Fearing that the Ten Rings will attack his sister for her pendant, Shang Ji decides to track her down and reveals his past to Katie, who agrees to help him. They find her at an underground fight club in Macau. Zai Ling expresses her resentment towards Shang Ji and their father. The fight club is then attacked by Death Dealer and his men. Wen Yu unexpectedly arrives and captures Zhang Ji, Katie, and Zhai Ling. All right, so let's talk about this opening a little bit. I thought it was a little bit slow in the opening. So uh, did I. Uh, let's go back. What, how did it open? We had the Marvel logo, and then well, they went. They first did the oh, quick origin of who the folklore, which I thought gotcha. wasn't too bad. And, and you know, I'm not usually a big fan of subtitles, but it made sense in this movie. They didn't want to just brush <laughs> by the language and all that. Yeah, it just it worked. Um, I'm glad the whole movie wasn't like that with subtitles, but because uh, I always find myself looking down instead of looking the action. See, that's the, that's the only way I can watch movies these days because I'm getting old. I have to have the subtitles. You have on. the captions. On. Yeah, that's funny. You know, if I have to read my whole movie, I'm not going to see what's going on in the movie. Uh, but again, like I said, I I felt like it was kind of a. After that, it went to this whole slow of him, you know, waking up in his garage and then going to see his friend and then going to his valet job and all that. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I thought that it started like a, a fairy tale. You know, uh, we got a quick backstory. I did appreciate the backstory of the Ten Rings. Um, I, I really appreciated the love story. Uh, that was a love story that I bought. And uh, when their first interaction and she's moving around and taking the win, I couldn't help think of like avatar, um, yeah. uh, the, uh, windbender or airbender, yeah. not James Cameron's avatar and, uh, crouching tiger hidden dragon also came to, totally to mind, With right? The trees. So she sweeps her foot around. Yeah. It felt very Crouching Tiger, and and they and 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 it was it was such a dance that I really got drawn into it, and I, I was a big fan right from the start. Did you get the metaphor for yin yang in that? Oh yeah, sure. Um, if you notice their fighting styles, yeah. and I didn't notice this until the ant trains him, and we'll get to that. Yeah. But uh, Wan Yu fights with his fist, and and Lee fought with her palms open. And mm-hmm. so it's, right. it's, it's balance, right? right. Yin yang, it's a balance. Fist versus palms open in the way that they, as you're absolutely right, they did a dance with each other and the way they swept around each other very much is like the curves of the yin yang. Yeah. So um, I enjoyed it. And then we do slow down a bit. 
uh, we get the family life and he gives up the rings. And then uh, we find out that after the mom dies, uh, the dad gets the rings again, goes into a life of crime, and then we wake up present day. And I have to say what I did appreciate about this movie as well was the soundtrack. Uh, the soundtrack made it fun and kept it upbeat. I dug the opening though a little slow, but I agree with you, Professor. This movie for me and you, I think, uh, doesn't pick up until we get to the bus. And once that bus scene hit, when him and Katie are on the bus, forget about it. It was fucking awesome. One thing that I wanted to bring up is uh, they hint at Shang-Chi was sent off to uh, his first mission to assassinate somebody. They didn't tell us at the po- at this point in the movie who was he went to assassinate. I thought at first, why didn't, you know, throughout any of the movie, why didn't they show that assassination? Why didn't they show what happened in that scene? Whether he killed him or didn't kill him, they didn't show it. And I think that's because if you look at the comic book version where they do show who he assassinates, he actually ended up killing an old man in bed who basically was too feeble, couldn't fight back. He just gave him one big chop to the face and killed the guy. Um, So I think that if us as the viewers had seen a scene like that where he just kills a, you know, enfeebled man, um, I think think that might have tainted our view of him a little bit well i don't think that feeble man was part of their storyline the guy he kills is the gang leader yeah and but, we're told that he does do it so but, but it also remember this has been over 10 years since he's seen that gang member and the guy was already old when he killed his mother so yeah, but he, he probably was a lot older and couldn't fight back but he killed his mom so i don't care okay you know what I mean? But to see a defenseless man get killed, you don't think that would have changed your view on the main character? Did you ever see Kill Bill? Yes, I have. Remember the Japanese anime bit where uh, Lucy Liu's character kills the pedophile? Yeah, but that was a pedophile. He killed his mom! Yeah. Okay. Marvin, what do you make of all this? No, I, I did not care that I did not see the assassination for two reasons. First reason, it did not move the story forward. Second reason, it gave me a more holistic and positive view overall of Shang-Chi. 100%. I've got a feeling that when we see the sequel to this movie, they will revisit that. And they probably will show it because in that comic book scene, while it was, you know, it, it was very, I want to use the word icky. I don't know if that's a great word, where he kills the defenseless man. He also meets another person who gives him... A, the real definition of what good versus evil is and changes his outlook on life. And so maybe that other person will come into play in a sequel. Well, maybe, or maybe not. Yeah, maybe Who knows? Not. Well, let's face it. It's going to do what Don says always happens in superhero sequels. He's going to want to give it up. He's not going to want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. So and hopefully... He, and he's going to have doubt and he's going to want to walk away. Yeah, so hopefully I'm wrong, which... I never am, but hopefully I'm wrong and we'll, we'll see where the sequel takes us for this movie. Did we need to see the assassination? No, I think they did it just how they needed to do it. It was, it was good. Um, so now I think we're at the bus, right? We are at the bus. Great scene. And I don't know if great even covers it. It starts so unassumingly. Yes. And okay. So as we're watching it and the bus scene starts to happen, a couple things pop into my mind. One speed. The, the next mm, totally one, the next one was i'm glad that when he started to fight and defend and be who he was i'm glad that his powers just didn't come to him and he just kind of remembered i love that the fact that he had always been like that he knew his strengths he just never showed decided to to, to use them and 
the way he did it and and then uh aquafina's reaction to it that's the other part that really works for this is aquafina's katie how she sells the incredulous like what the heck totally Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and the way Zhang Ji moves around the bus, it's it's a little bit like Jackie Chan and how he jumps up and down and in and out and around and through stuff. A hundred percent. That's what I was thinking too, and it even almost kind of reminded me of the train scene in Ultron with uh, Captain America, Scarlet Witch, and they're fighting Ultron on the train. Mm-hmm. Just the logistics of it kind of reminded me of that. But but first and foremost, the first thing that popped in my head was speed. <laughs> Uh, uh, besides great, what'd you think? I, I just, you know, it was a fantastic scene. I love the YouTuber guy who also appeared in what movie? Uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Yes. He, you know, happened to, I guess, fly from New York to do a video over in San oh, Francisco. Oh, for fuck's sakes. Why are you overthinking that? But anyways, go ahead. Uh, he was pretty funny, but I kept thinking, you know, you're sitting there on the bus and all of a sudden a big martial art fight breaks out with it. And then a guy jumps up who's got like big machetes on his arms. Yeah. It did remind me a little bit too of uh, Miss Marvel or uh, Captain Marvel on the subway. Oh, yeah. On the bus a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I can see that. Don't know if you noticed, but there were a lot of just long takes where they were doing, they weren't cutting the action. It was just a big, long fight scene. Yeah, well, I'm sure it was super choreographed, and I'm sure that it was super CGI. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, at this, after watching 1917, I didn't even fucking, I didn't even try to look for cuts. The uh, the other thing I really liked in his fighting style is, and you see this sometimes in these movies, but he took extra care to make sure that people on the bus were protected. Oh yeah, the way he fights tells us what kind of dude this is. Yeah. Right. And even his uh, not explaining it to his best friend for 10 years. Um, Letting her protect him yeah. for 10 years. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, it was, it was really surprising and a lot of fun. And again, the soundtrack was fantastic. Love the bus scene. So at the bus scene, he gets his pendant stolen. Uh, that by his mom, Razor Fist. Which was given to him by his mother. And now he fears that the 10 rings are going to go after his sister. And Uncle Fina's like, you have a sister? Who are you? Well, do you want to know a little background on Razor Fist at all? Not really, but you go ahead and tell me. I'll probably just cut it. One of the things I like about this movie is a lot of the villains they introduce are actually from the Shang-Chi comic book series. Uh, Razor Fist included. He appeared in Masters of Kung Fu number 29 in June of 1975. So this character has been around for a long time. So I'm glad they worked him into this movie. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed him as the henchman, yeah. as the face or the uh, the right hand of the of the leader of the he also race. has a connection where he has fought Wolverine at multiple times. God, so there, there I was gonna say, so there is a connection between you know the Kung Fu comics as well as the X Men comics. Yeah. So they fly to Macau. And they find uh, his sister, uh, and they walk in. Uh, it kind of reminded me of the scene in X Men when we first meet Wolverine, the cage match, and it kind of reminded me of Fight Club a little bit. And it was that moment when your characters get to where they're going, and it's total chaos. You know, the, they're on a mission, and they have to. They're looking for the sister. The guy doesn't know who he is, but secretly he signed a consent form, and now he has to fight. And it's a fight ring. 
right? It's like Thunderdome. Yeah. And uh, who do we see in the ring uh, for the first fight? We see Wong and the Abomination. But before that, um, the guy who who's uh, glad handing them and talking with the uh, the orange mohawk uh-huh. that's ronnie ching i think his name he's he's on the daily show he's a comedian oh really yeah oh. He, he's a he's a really fun guy i really dig him oh right on. well that would ex- i mean he seemed to have chemistry with the actors and i mean it, everything just fit uh one thing i was gonna say is i love how this movie plays with certain superhero tropes that you see in all these movies like why in all these movies at some point does the superhero lose his shirt and in this one they make fun of his like what happened to your shirt yeah yeah aquafina is all impressed yeah and they even play play down the main character instead of you know coming up with some fancy name they call him bus boy from the video from the video yeah bus boy yeah so let's talk about wong's fight against uh abomination oh so good it was so much fun, and I totally laughed the way the fight concluded. Just so fun. Did you catch that that was a setup? They were basically, it, I want to say they were running a scam to make money because the fight was fixed. Oh, it was fixed. Yeah, it was fixed, and basically Wong was saying to Emil, to the abomination, what are you doing? What's going on? You're like you're not following the script. And so he's like, okay, well, if you're not going to follow the script. And what he does is so Wong, because he does it in Doctor Strange. He does it in Infinity War. I mean, he's the master of that little that little circle so oh my gosh it Causing was so funny to knock his own ass he out. Knocks his own ass out. That is so delightful yeah. yeah it was so good uh so yeah then they leave so it was a nice little cameo by them and then it takes like six people to drag him off right now there's a little bit of an easter egg here that some people have pointed out on the internet is when wong takes the abomination through the portal like he's taking him home uh some people have spotted that it looks like through the portal you can see the raft. And so basically it's like Wong has gotten him from the government. He's returning him to the government and that maybe this will be a lead-in for Val to recruit the Abomination into the Dark Avengers. I'm going to go ahead and say that I, for one, need to rewatch it again because that portal showed the interior of a room that that i couldn't see any defining marks so uh for someone to catch it or if it's there fucking kudos um but i wouldn't get your hopes up too high do either one of you know who the actor playing abomination was it wasn't tim roth it was tim roth it was the original actor oh really he came back and did it Mm -hmm. good for him he was actually, I believe, in the credits. As oh, the no. No, he was not. He's uncredited. He is uncredited. Nice. Oh, he's uncredited. Yeah. Okay. Right on. Now, Shang-Chi has to fight his opponent that he agreed he would fight. And it turns out, and very predictably, totally, that it was his sister. And great fight scene. Uh, you could tell that they were both trained and masters and all this, that, and the other. And uh, I thought it was really good. I was kind of hoping for another callback to another, you know, Marvel character we hadn't seen in a while, but we get a sister and it made sense. Yeah. You want, you always want more than what there is. Yeah. So, and I, that's not a bad thing. That's neither, that's neither good nor bad. Yeah. So we get their fight. They, we get them reunited. I like when, uh, (laughs) after the fight, they find out that the sister runs the joint and they get brought back to her office. Uh, and Aquafina walks up with all this mounds of cash. (laughs) <laughs> did you bet against me he didn't even have to say it it was so funny he goes how'd you get all that money and then the expression on his face was 
oh, she fucking bet against me. That was, that was good, too. Yeah. And then, naturally, the Ten Rings attack. What did you guys think of that fight on the scaffolding? I thought it was an excellent fight. I thought it was almost, almost better than the bus. So now this is telling me that our action sequences are getting better and better. But no, it was fucking amazing, wasn't it? Beautifully choreographed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know that they're probably on a sound stage and they're obviously trying to be as safe as possible, but they made it look like they were really on a fucking scaffolding on this big building in Macau. They also kind of rebring back the character Death Dealer, who they had shown in a flashback from earlier. The part where he was about to run and jump and go onto the helicopter, I didn't expect him to catch him. Oh, I did. did I, fo- oh, I, fo- I thought he was going to make it to the helicopter and then there was going to be some big outside no, fight out dude, there. I, I saw that coming a mile away, and I even knew how they were going to shoot it, right? So yeah. he comes running in, and at the last possible second, Shang-Chi comes in, and we get a fight that looks a lot like matrix thank you professor uh but i like what they did with the light and the shadows because they're fighting against this big neon uh display pink display yeah and looked good yeah it looked fantastic so yeah it it was beautifully shot and then we get that shang ji's gonna fucking he gets the upper hand and he's he's gonna fucking do it right you could see in his face he is gonna fucking do it as an audience member, I knew he wasn't going to do it. I knew that dad was going to come in with he the He was thinking rings. it. I right. didn't think the dad was going to show up right there. Oh, I did. I saw coming a mile away. Okay. See, you keep saying there was a lot of predictability. I, I didn't see a lot of the stuff coming. And maybe I was just getting too absorbed in the movie. I think that's exactly what it is. I do want to bring up that Death Dealer's first appearance was in Master of Kung Fu, issue 115, in 1982. So he was relatively more of a newer character than some of these older characters that have been used. Uh, and he didn't last very long. So he was only in a few issues before he died. Yeah, he was. Yeah, I thought it was great. He was a ninja assassin. So dad shows up. He's happy to see son. Yeah. And that, I got to say, that moment actually moved me when he, you, we, we've spent all this time learning that his father is coming after him. They, both the, the brother and the sister are taking it very on the defensive. And as soon as the dad shows up, he wants nothing more than to embrace his son. Right. And, and I felt that I thought that I thought this, he's not going to die a villain. And I knew that from the moment he fell in love with the mom, this character was not going to die a villain. Well, that's one thing that I think Marvel does well in these movies is especially in the last few movies that they've made you feel for the villains, for the people who are supposed to be the bad guys in the movies. Look at Killmonger in Black Panther. You, you could see things from his side and you could think he does kind of have a point. You know, Thanos at certain points in the movie kind of had Thanos, a point. Kind of. You, you could kind of feel from they showed a little bit of his backstory and showed that he did have a kind of a heart when it came to Gamora. And so this character too there were points you really felt for him and you felt, oh gosh, I wish he just does get his wife back. Yeah, no. But you knew he would. But you know why Marvel is doing that. Every villain, uh, they've taken flack about their villains aren't that villainous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. thank you. I'm glad to see that they're they're amping it up a little bit. They reunite and then they are taken back to the complex. One thing I did like too is that, you know, Shang-Chi talks about how he's been running from his father and trying to, you know, stay off his father's radar while at the same time his father basically says to him i gave you 10 years to do whatever you want i've always known where you were yeah and even says i know you've been parking cars yeah they are taken to the 10 rings compound where when you reveals that he believes lee is still alive and is being kept in talo 
using the two pendants to create a map that can be used to enter the village. Wen Yu plans to destroy the village after freeing his wife and imprisons his children and Katie when they object. The three escape the compound and help the former actor Trevor Slattery, who the Ten Rings imprisoned for impersonating Wen Yu. Guided by Slattery's Dajing companion, Morris, the group drives to Talo to warn the village of the Ten Rings and meets Ying Nan, Li's sister. She reveals to the group a history of Talo. Thousands of years ago, it was attacked by the soul-consuming dweller in the darkness and his minions. However, the village was saved by a dragon called the Great Protector, who helped seal the dweller and his minions in a mountain. According to Nan, the dweller has been influencing Wen Yu into believing Li is still alive, so he will use the Ten Rings to break the seal. The villagers, Shang Ji, Zai Ling, and Katie train and prepare for their arrival. So when we get to the compound, I am looking at him thinking, okay, he sounds like a nice guy, but I don't know. When I saw the compound, then I started thinking, okay, he has had a thousand years, and I don't know, maybe he is sinister. I thought James Bond villain. Oh, yeah, it totally felt like that, absolutely. He had to be the antagonist of this film, right? He was, quote-unquote, the bad guy, right? Mm -hmm. And you're right, we need one. So when I saw the fortress, I thought it was pretty typical of a warlord, and this is how the the leader of the Ten Rings uh, would be. And and what I didn't see coming was uh, the affection for his kids and that that little bit of humanity, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the introduction of uh, the compound and, and, and all of this was very much in the setting of where it needed to be. And I really appreciated the scene where he brings them all to dinner and then they start talking about the Mandarin and who we first got a taste of in Iron Man 3. Turned out to be a ruse. There was no Mandarin. And uh, when you is like, they were using my name as their figurehead for this cult. And he says, because he's talking to Katie about her true name, right? Which, which she doesn't know. And and when you is just like, you can be whoever you want to be. Yeah, you can be named after a fruit. What did you think of the reintroduction of Trevor? Oh, I thought it was funny. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head what it reminded me of, but it reminded me of something. But as soon as they, so they get locked up and they're in... Uh, I hear these groans or growls. Yeah. And uh, we come to see that it's Ben Kingsley's Trevor Slattery from Iron Man 3. Now, originally, uh, back, I think, when Thor Dark World came out, there was a little short in it that showed Trevor in jail and then doing a documentary and getting busted out. And turns out he's being kidnapped by the Ten Rings people to pay for imitating the Mandarin. Now, they just put that on Disney Plus so you can watch that short. You said that you were a little upset that you actually went back and watched it. I, I was upset because I would have, I remember Trevor Slattery. I remember watching that one shot when Thor the Dark World came out, however many years ago that was and so by not having it in my fresh in my memory i thought that reveal would have played so much better for me but after i mean just seeing it pop up on disney plus i knew he was in the film so blah one of my favorite little moments that we have in that first introduction of trevor is when the little creature comes out and jumps up into his lap (laughs) the dai jing 
And and the other's like, oh my God, what the heck is that? And then he's all relieved. Oh, you can see him too? Oh. And and I love that he's clean now, right? Because the last time we saw him in Iron Man 3, he was a drunk and addicted to drugs and he did things, right? <laughs> so now he's clean. And the fact that he says that is so funny. Oh, thank God you can see him too. Oh, <laughs> Great, uh, great comedic uh, levity. Yeah, there uh, are by some, Ben the Kingsley. There are some interesting points that he brings up. One that he was going to be executed, but then he started reciting from Macbeth, and basically became kind of the court gesture of it. Is that they they bring him out for these little acting engagements, these little humor things, and so they haven't executed him because of that. Now another thing is <laughs> the Dai Jing makes the perfect pet. The perfect, I would say, counterpart for Trevor. The reason being, in Chinese folklore, a Daijing represents confusion and chaos and havoc and and just just not being all there. You know, so it doesn't have a face or a head. Who does that sound like? Happy Hogan? Sounds like Trevor Slatterly. So, yeah, that, that basically that little thing represents him as well. So that kind of makes sense. I also thought that he, uh, um, that, that the little creature is a little bit of foreshadowing insofar as we have this other world fantastical that is exposed to us regular people and the movie ends in the same way when um shang and katie are uh, ricocheting back and forth off of each other about how they saved the world and you know she had this one arrow left and and then the portal opens up and everybody in the restaurant is like uh mm-hmm. So I, I felt that yeah. it was a little bit like that as well at the end of the movie. That We got to see that same type of banter at the very beginning of the movie. And then at the middle of the movie, we have the, uh, what is that? Yeah. And then we get that at the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah. I really like yeah. that Marvel took the time to actually take creatures from Chinese folklore. That the Daijing is actually a character. All those creatures we saw in Talo are actually characters or creatures from Chinese folklore. Oh. Now, do you want to know a little history of what where Talo comes from? Not really, but I'm sure you're going to give it to me anyways. Uh, Talo's first appearance was in Thor Volume 1, Issue 301 in 1980. So it's not even from Shang-Chi. Basically, what Talo was originally in the Marvel Comics was where the pantheon of Chinese gods existed. Kevin Feige has... Uh, the world of Marvel at his fingertips. So it makes sense that he draws upon other books uh, and incorporates them. And they've, they've done that throughout the entire 24 films. So yeah, no good on them. So at this time that we get to see the other universe, I have to say it is a real departure from what I am used to seeing in Marvel movies. And I felt myself sliding away from the Marvel cinematic universe. And it was, refreshing and i i found it curious and i looked at this other world with a sense of wonder that it didn't feel like a superhero movie anymore at this point it just really whisked me away and i felt like it was not me watching a marvel movie interesting it 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 certainly had uh the uh the 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 elements of marvel movies this movie also didn't have uh people dressed up in costumes per se and that was something that I also felt went further away from a Marvel movie because you have almost always some sort of a costume. And I felt like what Shang-Chi and Katie and, uh, and, and Xiling, they had those ceremonial clothes, but they didn't feel like superhero costumes. 
so yeah, they the little animal thing. What's it called? Daijing. The Daijing leads them to Talo, which was a, was a pretty cool, very heavy CGI uh, scene. And I kept thinking to myself, how do you know how fast to go? And the way Trevor and the Daijing were navigating it, it was fucking great writing. Loved it. Right? He says to go faster. Right? And so she does. So they make it and they, they roll in. And I understand and I agree with you guys 100%. This was... It was a, a different universe. It was something that we haven't seen. Uh, but as I'm watching it, I remember thinking the first time I saw Asgard, the first time I saw Nowhere, the first time we were out in outer space with the Guardians, the first time we went to Titan, I can go on and on and on and on. The difference was this was a very Asian-centric story. And so our backdrop naturally has to be very uh with a lot of asian themes and i believed the dragons i believe those lion thing madoodles they were so fucking cool right and the guard the guardians they guard shrines and the statues and yeah um so that horse is looking at me (laughs) so when we get here and uh we see all this stuff yes we so they have to warn the village that the ten rings are coming which we've seen before and uh they have to have the get ready montage right so when they're putting on the dragon scale armor you know what i thought of wakanda uh when they had their glowy weapons what did i think of wakanda right so none of this is really new to me i mean it looks different the difference for me is in each of these films they had the filmmakers each filmmaker has a way to make them stand out and i thought that where this story went which was very paint by numbers very comic booky very origin story but i didn't care because i bought everything that was happening and that's what i love about these films so i think that uh totally agree the the fantasticalness of uh taolo uh, wasn't unexpected to me it's kind of what i expected and they just fucking pulled it off right let me bring up one of the scenes for you right around that time when they bust through the bamboo at the end and actually first see talo and they're driving in that razor fist jeep uh-huh. um i almost expected the jurassic park movie to start or music to start right? <laughs> did you feel that vibe too like all of a sudden they're entering jurassic park and they're seeing the brontosaurus for the first time no i i was i was expecting to see a dragon i, don't know, I, I just mean, i i just kept hearing that music in my head as they were coming in yeah what i was thinking was okay you just busted in just barely how do they get out yeah that too right they, well i figured they were either going to be accepted or turned away and of course they were accepted because the ant comes which i thought michelle yo in this was was fantastic she was great as the Love aunt, her. and she brought a very calming uh, calmness her. to mm-hmm. shang chi and what other train what other marvel movie did she appear in? she was in guardians of the galaxy volume two she was one of the ravengers that is correct sir and one of the original guardians of the galaxy yes. um and she was also in one of the weaker James Bond movies. Well, we can do this all day. She was also in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Three years after that. <laughs> Tomorrow Never Dies. So, yeah, I, I thought that the introduction of this character was great. We needed a balance to the dad, mm-hmm. right? And we needed, we knew at some point that the, the children had to go home to their mom's home, right? We haven't got this yet. We, we have been uh, told as an audience that mom's home is holding her at ransom. 
or holding her prisoner yeah. holding her prisoner right which makes no sense no and it and what i love about it is we as the audience knows it makes no sense Shangji knows it makes no sense but the dad believes it and we're going back to that villain character arc of you know if they believe it's right is it really wrong so he is hell bent on getting his wife out and so the kids go to warn the village and uh the village naturally accepts them and they teach him how to fight and uh, aquafina i thought was funny with the bow and arrow uh and then aquafina the, was funny throughout yeah uh, agreed 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 when you and the ten rings arrive to destroy the seal and battle ensues when you and shangji fight which ends with when you Casting Shangji into the nearby lake. Guided by Li's voice, Wen Yu begins breaking down the seal with the rings, which, unbeknownst to him, causes many of the dweller's minions to escape. The villagers and the ten rings call a truce in order to stop the minions. Shangji is revived by the great protector before rising out of the water to battle the minions. Wen Yu and Shangji fight once more, with Shangji emerging victorious. Strengthened by the souls taken by the minions, the dweller escapes. Wen Yu sacrifices himself to save Shangji, giving him the Ten Rings. The dweller is eventually killed by the combination of efforts of Shangji, the Great Protector, Zai Ling, and Katie. Shangji and Katie return to San Francisco, where they encounter Wong. I think Roll it. credits. So Wen Yu and his army shows up which we knew they were going to. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think of the big fight? The big fight was pretty much what I was expecting. Nobody's going to die. Everybody pushes each other around, slap, 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 hit, 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 tap, tap, tap. It, it, yes, but people do die. There were a the, few. The, 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 the soldiers and the... But not against each other. Yeah, fair point. But I did, I did catch you laughing when the Guardian... Like a guy came up and started hitting on one of the guardians, and the guardian just swatted him away. The big lion. Oh yeah, thing. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I there love some, that. Thing, there were some great little hidden scenes during that fight of the animals kind of getting involved, and yeah, and 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 that just—that's so. what makes it fun. Again, this was fun, and you know, the enemy of my enemy is my ally. Okay, so one of my scenes I really liked was when you were talking about, you know. The enemy of my enemy and we team up well razor fist at first says no we are not teaming up we're serving our master and we're going to fight on his behalf and then death dealer gets pulled up by one of the little minions gets his soul sucked out and razor fist turns around and goes okay we'll team up yeah yeah the, the, i thought that was just a fantastic way to just kind of roll that the the classic moment of uh no i'm not going to do it something happens okay right and, and it happens all the time uh it was a uh, good scene what did you think of when uh when you starts banging on the door uh what is the first thing that popped into your head first thing that popped in my head was everything was going fine here until the power grid was shut off by dickless here is this true yes it's true this man has no dick my first thought was he's not seeing little flying monkeys flying out of the, the uh, top yeah. thing mine was the hobbit the Hobbit? Yeah, it reminded me of a big door from Lord of the Rings. Mm. But that just goes to show you, I mean, how fantastical it was. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, these rings are the only thing that can break down this barrier. And as he's doing it, uh, these little <laughs> m- 
flying fucks, whatever they're they call are. them minions, but I think they're little flying monkey things. And they come out after uh, the villagers and, and the ten rings. And what is the only thing that can kill them? The dragon scale weapons. The dragon scale weapons, or as I like to call it, uh, Asian vibranium. Uh, well, so it felt like that, huh? It felt like that. I know. That's what I'm saying. Uh, but I, I, I did appreciate it. And, you know, uh, Aquafina learning the bow and, and saves the day. And then ultimately you have to have, you know, uh, the dweller of the darkness. He gets out mm-hmm. right after this. And we have to have our perilous moment. We're doomed. Right. So when you sacrifices himself after a great fight with his son, his son took advice from his aunt and learned how to fight with the open palms and not the fists and became the balance that his mother was in order to defeat the father. Because he even goes back and says, how did she beat him? And then he says, show me. Right. So he does that and he manages to, he corrals uh, five of the 10 rings. Right. And then they're fighting, fighting, fighting. And then the dweller escapes pulls when you up and you see that moment of self-sacrifice he gives him the 10 rings and now you're thinking oh he can just kill this big fucking thing no it takes him his sister and the luck dragon to kill these motherfuckers i did not see the dragon coming up from below i i i when when we were introduced and he was underwater and he comes face to face with the dragon i knew that the dragon was going to play a part since they'd already referenced the great protector the first time yeah and i knew the dragon was going to be a big part of it too because up until that moment in the lake we hadn't seen the dragon so as soon as we were going to see the dragon you knew it was going to be an integral part now a big thing with that scene was uh shang chi is going down and he meets the dragon at first he kind of had at the, had the idea that he needed to take the dragon's power to beat his father. When he actually, when he's below, he submits to the dragon. And that's when the dragon imbues him with the guardian spirit. Now, that's why people are saying, uh, of course, you hate when I reference the internet, but that's why people are saying, you noticed when the bands came to Shang-Chi, they changed to orange, which was the color of the guardian dragon. Uh, So he was imbuing now the bands with that color. Now, my belief, and and a lot of people agree with this, is that the bands, when they were on the father, were blue and less powerful because he was not worthy of the bands. Kind of like Thor's hammer, he was not worthy. When they went to Shang-Chi and he imbued them with the dragon spirit, he was worthy. That's why they were more powerful, and that's why they changed to orange. Yeah, I got all of that just because they changed colors. Okay, just that, that he was worthy. and, and Yeah, like, that they were stronger. And as soon as they changed colors, you knew the father was a douche. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a conqueror. For, he used for he the was wrong Genghis reasons. Kong, right? Yeah, exactly. He used them for the wrong reason. And you knew that Shang-Chi was pure of heart because he was more like his mother. Naturally, when he got the rings, they changed colors and were more powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, when I saw him go down and see the dragon for the first time, I thought to myself, yep, he's going to come out of the water riding the fucking dragon. Mm-hmm. You just said a statement, though, that he was more like Shang-Chi was more like his mother. I think the opposite. I, I don't want to say the yes, opposite. Yes, clearly. I don't want to say the opposite. I want to say that he was the best parts from his father and his mother. He is the representative of the yin-yang. He has the darkness and the light, and he is of balance. Are you familiar with what Shang-Chi means in Chinese? Didn't, didn't they tell us? They probably did. Does it mean balance? No, Shang-Chi means rising and advancing of the spirit. 
So it, and that's kind of a correlation to the idea of yin yang. That's why I think it took his father and his mother to create someone who was worthy of these bands. Yeah. Children are just a better version of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, and when his father had given up the rings, we saw the better side of him, even though he was still closed fist, we still saw the better of him. Well, sometimes you got to fight with a closed fist, even if you are the good guy, right? Uh, yeah, so no, yeah, no doubt, no doubt in my mind that he was the best of both of them, and uh, that you know they changed colors because ultimately he was going to be more powerful. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I think that you're the better version of your mom and dad. Wow, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, actually, you know what? That was more of a compliment to my mom and dad. So, dad, if you're listening, which you're probably not because I say fuck too much, um, there you go. Uh, the professor just complimented you and mom. Now, I do want to bring up something really quick. Of course you do. Now, I know, Don, you are not a big fan of the song Hotel California. Didn't you like it a little bit in this movie? No, dude. I not, hate, even, not even a little bit. I hate that song so much that when it ever comes on, if I'm listening to it with a group of people, I will go out of my way to say really fucking loud, I hate this fucking song. Or if I'm in the car and it comes on, I'll fucking turn it off. I do not like that song. Did you I, did you laugh at the end of the movie when they're in the karaoke bar? I did until I realized it was Hotel California and then I stopped. Now, the question is, do you know the, the story behind the song? Do you know the meaning of the song? Wait, did you laugh when Aquafita, uh, when when uh, Katie was trying that out when she's out there on the scaffolding and she starts singing that to the ninja it guy? It worked. No, I, yes. Did you, thank you. Did you laugh at that moment? No, I rolled my eyes. The song actually meaning, um, if you listen to the words, which I'm sure you just ignore, uh, is a journey from innocence into sin. Now, there's a line in that song they stab it with their stealing knives, but they just can't kill the beast. Does that not sound familiar of this scene when they're fighting the dragon? Did, did, the, the big dweller that they can't kill it or any of its minions did, with their stealing knives? They have to use the dragon scale. So okay. kind of they kind of fit that song and like Marvel does when they fit things in. Well, good for them. I thought it was a kind of a clever little... He's just reference. Not, it was he's a foreshadowing. Like the song, no matter what. The fact what. that they kept using that song was foreshadowing the end of the movie. You know, they, there's a reason why they would pick a song or they would pick a thing. You know, I you gotta know look into these there movies. is. They throw hidden numbers. It doesn't in there. make the song any better for me. No, I'm just saying that's the reason they used it. I know what you're just saying, and all I'm saying is it doesn't make the movie any better for me. I hate the fucking song. Okay, there you have it. What? He's, what? What the fuck do you want to say? He's just full of. Hate. I'm just wondering. Do you think Trevor ended up going back to this universe or do you think he stayed in the other universe? Oh, I'm I, hoping he stayed. In. I think he stayed in Talo for fucking sure. Doing shows every night of Shakespeare. You know what that reminded me of him doing that shit? Do you ever see Tropic Thunder? Yes. Yeah, when Ben Stiller's character gets captured and he has to do theater yes. every night. That's what that reminded <laughs> me of. <laughs> now, now, one idea I threw out and you both hated the idea was I'd almost like to see Trevor show up in other Marvel movies going forward. Oh no. my God. Why? Just as you, not even just as much as this character, just every so often they go around a corner and there's Trevor doing some Trevor like thing. But then it becomes just a big shtick. Why? Why do you want to see that? Because they always have a little shtick that carries throughout the movie. And have they ever disappointed you with it? No. When they, would okay, well then why Trevor? start now? So they would disappoint you if they put Trevor in other movies. Yes. Okay. If he was there at the beginning, I would go for it more, but mm-hmm. But to shoehorn him in, 
in the 26th and the 27th and the 28th movie. Way too late into the MCU. Speaking of shoehorning in, thank you for that. Yes, it would suck if they had to shoehorn him in. Like they are now starting to shoehorn in. Well, five years ago, uh, Thanos snapped his fingers and half of the universe disappeared. All right. They had that conversation at the beginning of the film, and it felt so placed. It felt so, like you said, shoehorned into the conversation. I hope that Marvel doesn't start doing that. And, and I this is fucking the hope one. they don't put uh, Trevor Slattery in every film. Well, originally, I, I agreed with you that it was annoying for them to bring up the blip again. Going back and watching some interviews about this movie, they purposely did that because they wanted to create a placement of where this movie exists compared to other movies. And like, this movie is actually supposed to take place, uh, or the Black Widow movie is supposed to take place a lot of time before you know these movies, whereas... Um, this movie is supposed to take place actually after the Spider-Man movie. See, and for me as a film viewer, and I can't speak for everyone else, obviously, because they need the help. When the title card said present day, I never like that. No, I like title cards. Don't get me wrong. No, no. But I don't when like it said present day, present day tells me that it's after it's the present day in the Marvel mm-hmm. universe. And in the Marvel cinematic universe, we are five years after the blip. But they're also supposed to, they're trying to hint at, and I don't know how it's going to relate because we haven't seen Spider-Man No Way Home, but from the order of things, Spider-Man No Way Home, from what I've heard, is supposed to take place before this movie. Uh, Until it comes out, we're not going to know. I know. So that, the way they're talking about the blip and the posters that were on the wall that were actually talking about the blip could connect up to where that movie presents itself as well. Around it's going to be happening around the same time. Blah blah blah. Awesome! It's all happened after the blip. Okay. That's all I need as a film, as a audience member. That's all I need. Okay. So, so I'm wondering, does Shang Chi now have immortality? Which means that eventually he gets to say goodbye to Katie and everybody else in his normal life. If he decides to use it that way, or does he decide to use it like Tony uses the Iron Man suit? puts it away when he doesn't need it. And then if he needs it, I'm sure he just has to think about it or flex or something and they'll come run into him. Um, I think if Marvel was smart, cinematically speaking, I think that's the way they should go with it. Um, but you know, so in theory, yes, he should be immortal if he is always wearing said rings. Right. So, so my thought was just like you, he's not going to wear them all the time. Right. So he'll do sort of a Steve Trevor sort of thing. Yes. He ages slowly like Steve Rogers when he Thank you. puts the rings on. Cause I like what the dad says. He says, I found a reason to grow old with someone or I found someone to grow old with. So he took the rings off. I'm of the thought that when he needs them, he'll use them when he's not, he's just going to be regular Sean because that's, that's the character that was introduced to us. And this, uh, 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 amount of power that was given to him at the very end of the film, we see that they're in the bar does. He's not wearing them. So um, then he's just Sean. Yeah. So I think as opposed to Sean, no, with a G G with a G. Boy, that's pretty original. So you Hard to believe your dad found you. <laughs> yeah, from now on, I'm going to be John with an H. I thought you were John with an H. No. I'm Ken with a G. All right, so they save the world. And we're back in San Francisco, and they're reveling with their friends that don't believe a single word coming out of their mouths. Yes. Yes. Revels. And I love the portal opening up behind them, and they're like, eh, 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 eh. Yeah. Yeah, and then Wong comes out, which was a nice little surprise. 
takes them with them, and then we cut to credits. I thought that the the mid credit scene wasn't going to have anything to do with what we just saw. I'm so glad it did. Uh, it was a nice little surprise. So we're in Carmitage uh, with Wong and two of the Avengers. Which Avengers did we get? Captain Marvel and Bruce Banner. Bruce Banner, who is not green. No, he still has his arm in a cast or in a sling. sling. Yeah. But no, he is no longer the merged Banner Hulk. He's yeah. not Professor Hulk anymore. Yeah. So we got Mark Ruffalo and then they did something to Brie Larson or she just was on cocaine or something. She just did not look very good in this role. And it was a two second role and it was a hologram. So I was kind of, I was kind of taken out by that. But uh, yeah, Captain Marvel shows up and they're talking about the rings and Wong can't identify where they come from or because he's he's part of the uh, mystical arts and the people that are protecting this realm. And so he wants to know more about him because really this is the first time he's got to see him, right? Yeah, and he also is the master of that library of the codexes. So he has millions of different books he can go through to try to find an origin on something. He cannot find him in any of the books. And Captain Marvel says, well, they're not any alien tech I've ever seen. They're not right. Chitauri or anything else. Yeah, a bunch of so I've never seen them either. Yeah. And then uh, we find there's a signal be- emanating from them. A right. beacon, as they call it. Yeah, well, same thing. Um, <laughs> so it's, there's this beacon. Uh, where's it going? Who's it calling? What did you think? None. Yeah, your guess is as good as mine at this point, right? Um, So that was cool. And I guess my first thought was, is this a good person or a bad person? Another thought I had was, uh, is this going to lead us into the Eternals? This is going to lead into all the other multiverse movies. All right, well, give me your theories. Okay, well, first of all, and it all has to do with... (sighs) I'm just playing dude. So next time on Two Guys in a Flick. So, so, so that, that was worse than him telling you to fuck off? I, I did some work here, and I think that I No, and I, John, I was just kidding. I know. Go ahead, buddy. Anyway, back to some of my theories. Uh, obviously, these bands are some type of relic that have a connection to the multiverse in some sort of way. The multiverse connects us up to the future Doctor Strange movie, as well as the future Spider-Man and Ant-Man all have basically to do with the multiverse. So the rings will make sense to appear or have a connection to these movies. Now, some of the theories that I've looked into, I've you know come up with on my own, or I've gotten from different groups like Screen Crush on YouTube. I don't know if you're ever familiar with them. They come up with a lot of great theories that a lot of them tend to prove true. Now, one of them is that these are the quantum bands that appear in Marvel Comics that were created by a, I don't know if you call it DD, but it's basically a representation of Eon, which is almost like time, but it's more of time and space. He created these quantum bands to go to a protector to protect the universe from universal threats or multiversal threats. In the comic books, they are one band, but in, in the movies, they could have been turned into five bands on each arm. So that's one theory that in the comic books, they could be used by anybody, but they weren't as powerful until they found somebody who was worthy. Sounds kind of like what happened in this movie. So that's one theory. I'm not leaning towards that theory. Another one is that Kang created these bands. You know, we were introduced to Kang in Loki. You know, 
basically, and we know he's coming. They've Marvel has confirmed that he is going to be a big bad in a future Marvel movies. Um, he created these bands. He's a time traveler. He sends them back in time. They are found by this person. He puts them in a place in time that he knows eventually is going to lead up to this great protector imbuing them with the dragon power. Now, once they're imbued, they send a beacon to Kang to let him know when and where they are now available for him to come collect them. So that's why I don't think Shang-Chi is going to keep him very long because I think Kang is going to come and collect them for whatever multiversal weapon he's going to use that's going to cause a huge threat in the Marvel Universe. Here's why I don't like that uh, theory, and okay. I hope to fucking God it's wrong. I, all of these no, no, could be wrong. Well, no, 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 yeah. did, but I'm going to tell you why. Because it sounds just like Thanos. Exactly. I'm That's my collect, worry, I'm too. A, I'm going to collect all the stones, and I'm going to snap out the universe. And I'm going to go out and say it right now. I do not think that's what's going to happen because Marvel is smarter than that. Yeah. But the idea of, and what got me to thinking about this one, is that it's an ancient relic that they, you know, obviously because it came from the past, but it's of a technology and of a design that nobody has seen. So it sounds like future tech to me. So future tech that was put into the past. That's where the whole idea of Kang comes in. Now, there is a connection to the Eternals that might be possible. Um, are you familiar with the Celestials? Uh, just from what I've seen in Guardians of the Galaxy. They are going to pay a, an obviously a huge part of the Eternals. The Eternals, basically the Celestials, created two races. They basically took humans and created two races from humans, the Eternals and the Deviants. And that's what the movie Eternals is going to be about. The Eternals were protectors of Earth, and they were supposed to protect them from the Deviants, which is this Deviant race. What people also don't realize, Eternals created a third race, which led to the X-Men, um, which led to mutants. But anyway, now, in the comic books, there's a story called Earth-X. And Earth-X, which is kind of a, a side story, it's one of those alternate universe type stories, where it's revealed that celestials plant eggs inside of planets. And that's how they reproduce. Now, there's a being out there called Galactus, which we're probably eventually going to get introduced in connection with the Fantastic Four. Galactus eats planets. So the celestials, the, the theory is, created these bands to go to a worthy protector to protect the planet from the coming of Galactus to protect their egg. I think that's horseshit too, because Marvel already used the egg in volume two. Yeah. But that's, I, that's, that's what Kurt Russell was doing. So I think that I don't buy the egg idea, but I do buy the possibility that the celestials created it to create a protector for earth colors that come from the bands and the colors that come from, uh, Chung Chi's father when he's being absorbed matches the exact same colors we see in Ant-Man and every time we've been associated with the quantum realm. What, a rainbow color? It's kind of the rainbow effect and the orangish and the yellow. Mm. All of that's kind of representative of the, of the quantum realm. Kang has a castle, basically a whole city that he's built in the quantum realm. We actually were introduced into it in one of the movies and it's a quick little blurb. Um, he's got a city there. So a lot of people, again, are going back to the Kang theory that somehow this connects to Kang and that the power of the bands are coming from the quantum verse. Well, he, here's what I got for you, and this is just me being the outsider looking in. You've already spoiled that Kang is going to be in Ant-Man and Wasp. No, I just, 
I said that uh, that's he's going to be a big bag in some of the movies here. But no, right? but in previous conversations, okay. you, you you've spoiled that. And then, uh, where does Shang Chi live? San Francisco. Where does Ant Man live? San Francisco. Okay, so we're going to see Shang Chi and Ant Man. Great. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sure that'll pan out. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I I think whatever Marvel decides. Um, What's your theory on what the beacon's calling? Good, bad, any character in particular? Uh, my first thought was Kang mm-hmm. because we saw him in Loki. Uh, other than that, you know, if Galactus comes without the Fantastic Four, I'm going to be disappointed. Um, if Doctor Doom comes without the Fantastic Four, I'm going to be disappointed. So basically, I'm hoping for the Fantastic Four. But um, I, I really didn't, other than Kang, I didn't give it any thought because I trust in Marvel and I trust that whatever they're going to put on the screen is going to be good. So uh, I anticipate, I try not to look at theories and spoilers because some of them sound so good. And then when it's not that, you're like, oh. And- so after this is played out, then we have our credits and then we have our final, final scene. Yeah. And you kind of knew it was coming. And It was very fitting. Yes, absolutely. Zai Ling takes over to the Ten Rings. It was her rightful spot, and she's uh, modernized it. And again, the soundtrack, they had some good beats going, and the camera pulls all the way back, and we see what the new Ten Rings looks like. And now, are the Ten Rings good guys or bad guys? When you had mentioned earlier that you felt this movie, a lot of things were predictable. And, you know, like I said, I was so absorbed in it, I didn't feel like these things were predictable. This was the one thing that I knew was going to happen. I mean, this, even before the father dies and even before we really even get to see much of the Ten Rings, you know, the fact that we found out about the sister, I knew she was eventually going to be leading the Ten Rings. Yeah, it was fucking predictable. Yeah, very predictable. Now, in the comic book, she does end up leading the Ten Rings as well. So it was in there. Yeah, and again, like the professor pointed out, they loosely, the cinematic universe uh, loosely takes stories from from the books which now, fuck you have all the source material why not now here's something that i thought was interesting and i, I don't know why it keeps sticking in my head i always watch you know like a lot of people we watch the end of the credits and we look for when is so and so going to return like they'll say guardians of the galaxy will return in blah or they say spider-man will return at this one they said 10 rings will return and that's all they said now are they talking about the group 10 rings or are they talking about the weapon 10 rings only you could overthink that. I I don't know. I like to think about that. Now I'm guessing they mean the terrorist group, the whatever she's doing with them, they will return. Right. That's why I said are they good the good guys or the bad guys? Yeah. So So that's who they were referring to. But I also think obviously Shang Chi's ten rings are now going to return at some point too. If that was the case, Marvel would have said Shang Zi will return. Yeah, so that's my guess is they're telling us that we're not going to see him for a while. We will see the group the 10 rings before we see him i i don't think those i don't think those little end credits or those title cards tell us what next movies are coming out all the all they're telling us is that they will return yeah and really they do it they do it in all of them i think thor will return captain america will return why didn't they say shang Shang chi will return because they wanted to do one about the 10 rings they wanted to stick that in our heads we know shang chi's coming back right so anyways uh, okay, let's rate this motherfucker because it's getting late and the professor looks like he's going to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I, what are we talking about? Ken, how do we rate our movies? Oh, you know how we rate our movies? I will tell you how we rate our movies. 
we think of our ratings on a scale of one to five. A five is a movie that you are ready to watch it again immediately. We've all had that time when we're walking out of the theater and we say, as soon as we get up, man, I'm ready to turn, turn around and watch that right now. That's going to be a five. A one is a movie that we've seen and we have no desire to ever see it again. It's been seen. End of story. Don't make me watch it again. I don't want to watch it again. Three is going to be somewhere in the middle where it's like, you know, I'm ready to watch that again. So if somebody says, hey, you want to watch that? Yeah, I might do that. Maybe not right away, but it's going to be somewhere in there saying, yeah, I am definitely going to watch that again. Maybe even own the movie. What would a zero be? A zero is where you are screaming at anybody that will listen to you. Somebody owes you two hours of your life back. Yeah. So there you have it. Professor, what did you think of this movie? I found this movie to be very enjoyable. It is a Marvel movie, and let's face it, they figured out long ago, long ago, how to make an entertaining movie. I did not uh, think it was as much of a superhero movie as it was more or less a folklore or a fantasy movie. Once we get into the third act, it is looking very different from any other Marvel movie. Don pointed out earlier about how we have Wakanda, how we have space, how we have Asgard. All of these are places of technology. I feel that the the uh, the this other universe is minus technology. It is about ancient and history. We have um, these mythical creatures that are not a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We have a dragon. We have soul suckers. It is not necessarily about being a badass superhero. It is about things of tradition in the past. I enjoyed the vibrancy and the color in that universe as well, the vibrancy of the red. There were no clear-cut superhero costumes. It felt refreshing in an, in one sense having this marvel movie not feeling like as much of a marvel superhero movie but i definitely look at shang as a superhero once he had those rings and i feel that he is of noble stock to carry forth the inspiration of what these rings are supposed to be used for which is a protector somebody who is good and pure I loved the development of the characters. Aquafina was a delight for me. I, I reveled in all of her on-screen time. The enthusiasm of her face, how she sells the moment, the excitement and the euphoria that she has when she's taking that car supposedly to be parked, and she doesn't. I adored her on the bus scene when she's behind the wheel and she's looking at Sean fight for the first time. I enjoyed all of her little quips, her little jabs, her her little stories. The music was wonderful. It is such a catchy, fun movie. It the, to me, this is an easy movie to watch again. I I am eager to watch this again, and I I would give this a four point five. There you have it, four point five from the professor. Would you like me to go next? Sure, buddy, go ahead. Absolutely. Uh, people who know me know that. Two of my favorite movie genres are, of course, comic book movies and martial art movies. So when I heard this movie was coming out, I was excited to see what Marvel could do with a comic book movie. They really paid homage, I felt like, to Chinese folklore. They really complimented 
Um, the dance that happens with a lot of really great martial arts choreographed movies. Um, they just, they did a fantastic job with that. And they really did, you know, movie wise, stick to the basic idea of who Shang-Chi is in the comic books. They kind of built that character of, yes, he comes from a background that he was taught to be an assassin, but he chose to be better, that he, you know, is better. Now, I'm hoping they will stick to the idea of Shang-Chi from the comic books in that he is just a regular man without superpowers that has these abilities that are taught to him that he can compete with, you know, the superheroes and the villains out there. You know, he overcomes the struggles, things like that. You know, in the comic books, he's beaten the thing. He's beaten other major characters just by the sheer skill that he has. And I'd like to see that. I, I don't want to see him relying on the rings in the future. I want to see him being more of that character who's the greatest fighter in the comic books, in Marvel comic books. Um, so I'm hoping that they will build on that and that they will make up for the Iron Fist series that was on Netflix, which was kind of just, that that didn't work and that didn't do what, needed to be done in a in a martial arts series shang chi makes up for that so for this movie rewatchability when we talk about that there are parts and i'm thinking i kept thinking well if i was able to download that movie right now would i watch the whole thing or would i skip some parts i feel like i might skip uh you know the beginning a little bit and try to get more into the action so for that reason Definitely, I want to see it again, and I want to see it again right away. I just don't know if I'm going to have that still that same feeling of slowness in the beginning and all of that. I'm going to give it a 4.5 as well. I would actually give it closer to a 5 if it wasn't for those parts that I felt like I might fast forward through. But I'm going to give it a 4.5 just because I'm really looking forward to seeing it again. What about you, Don? What did you think of this movie? Would you please share? Um, No. I don't want to. Okay, thanks for listening, everyone. Good night. Shang-Chi. Uh, this was a fun Marvel movie. Uh, you know, I've said this time and time again, and I'm going to say it one more time right now. Marvel can do no wrong in my book. I feel was a great introduction to this character whom I had no idea who he was. I had no context with it, and they explained everything I needed to know. Uh, the story, the movie it was typical it was predictable it was a marvel movie but the difference is what marvel does is they make with the writing and the the directing and the special effects they they bring that game up so even though it's predictable and it's an origin story it was very entertaining and would i want to see it again fuck yeah i want to see it again but as uh, high as 4.5 uh just because i can think of um you know you're throwing it up against other marvel movies of course and that's what your benchmark has to be for a marvel movie but that's but that's just me that's that's just how i'm gonna do it uh i am definitely going to give shang Chi a four because i will definitely go and watch it again um and who knows as the more and more I watch it, maybe the more and more I like it. But as first impressions go, I thought it was fucking fantastic. So it gets a four from me. 
Bottom line, it comes down to if you like Marvel movies, if you like superhero movies, you're going to enjoy the movie. Bam. And now that's it, all there really is to it. All right. So that is Shang-Chi. Uh, the Legend of the Ten Rings. Hey, John, where can they find us? They can find us at our website, which is threeguysinaflick.com. They can find us at any popular podcast hosting site or most of even the unpopular ones. I put that shit everywhere. Uh, they can find us on, I think, Instagram. They can find us on Facebook. They can find us on Twitter. We don't quite have a TikTok yet because I can't get Dan, Don to dance long enough to video record him. Nor will you. Uh, other than that, like I said, we're just about everywhere. All right. So thank you to our number one listener and everyone else who out there wants to listen to us. For Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Thanks for listening. So, Don, I got to ask you a question. Mm. How did they get the monkeys to ride those horses? They didn't. They were acting. Acting.